know, I tell my family a lot that my motto is try something new. Of course, they know that's not really true because I'm known for being a man of routine who orders the same thing in restaurants all the time and does things in the same order. Lauren usually says when I say that, yeah, that means try a new book. A few years ago, she counted the books in my office. This was even before we moved here, and she counted 804 books. Now, I've bought some more books since then. That didn't include any books at home. And yeah, you know, I think later on there's going to be a time when I retire and I'm going to pass those books on. But the truth is, that represents an investment of a good bit of time and money. And when the time comes, no one is going to want to hear about preaching trends for the 90s, right? A lot of it's going to go in the garbage can. It's one of those times when you recognize that something you've put some time and money into for anybody else is probably going to be pretty meaningless. And sometimes we do that in life. We recognize that things that we put a lot of time and money into are pretty empty. And today we continue in this series that we're calling When Life Falls Apart. And the truth is that there are things that we've thought were pretty important. And we have invested ourselves in them only to find out later on that there wasn't much there that it really was pretty empty, and that in the end, most of it sort of slips away from us. And what we call that in Scripture is an idol. And in fact, the people of Israel were guilty of worshiping things and investing th in themselves in things that in the end they found to be empty. And it's easy to condemn them for worshiping idols, and we'll talk a little bit more about that later and, and see just how empty that is. We look back and say, man, how could they do that? But the truth is, we have all kinds of idols. Things that we have elevated to places in our lives only to find that they weren't real, that they weren't of value, that they didn't have the lasting value of things that really are important. We do this in lots of ways. We make idols out of all sorts of things. We as Americans love our entertainment. And we say, how do we make that an idol? I don't worship my TV, but on average, most of us do spend about 20 hours a week watching TV. And that's, that's a lot of TV. And we do it without thinking, right? We just sit down and watch TV and an hour passes and we don't really even notice it. And yet, that hour's gone. And what do we have to show for it? Not a lot. We may not even remember the shows that we watched this week. And yet, we keep putting our time and our energy into it. We do all sorts of things to be entertained. We go to theme parks and spend big money to be entertained. We put... We put other things in the place of that, things that seem important. In the end, we wonder. They become idols to us. How many people among us have made our homes an idol? Man, we spend a lot of money on our houses. That's probably the biggest investment most of us make. And it's important. And we might spend 15 or 20 or 30 years paying that off. But then what do we do? We also have to decorate that to impress the people that we keep saying we're going to invite over to our homes and never do, right? We make our kitchen show places because we want to impress people when they come to see us. A few years ago, Leanne and I had to buy a new range, right? Stove, oven combination. And we went to the store and what we were looking for something, we were looking for something that would like cook food, okay? 
But the guy showing us this stuff kept telling us, you know, it's not just about that, it's got to be stainless steel and you really need six burners, like we're going to cook six things at one time. And those burners need to operate on multiple levels and, you know, it needs to be able to connect to the internet and you should be able to raise your kids by buying the stove. We didn't, okay? I'm too cheap for that. But the point was, man, this, is, this has got to be a showpiece. You've got to invest something in this. We make our homes into an idol. We had a neighbor in Florida who was generally a nice guy, but you know, after a while, he bought this black edging between, that would go between our yard and his, and he dug a little trench and put the black edging because our inferior grass was invading his you know, designer lawn, all right? Made me feel a little funny, okay? But, but it was important to him. It was important. We make idols out of so many things. We make idols out of ourselves. I read an article that said that Duchess Kate, you know, Prince William's wife over in England, that she, and, and I'm sure there's others in the royal family, I'm not throwing stones, okay? I could probably use this, but she spends $30,000 a year on beauty products, okay? I wouldn't look good, but I'd look better for 30000 a year. <laughs> That's a bunch of money, okay? We make an idol out of ourselves, and yet we know, man, in the end, this body doesn't last. It won't. And then it gets even more difficult. We make idols out of things that and are important, but they're not of utmost importance. We can make an idol out of the country in which we live. I mean, you know, every one of us, I think, would say, I'm glad that I'm a citizen of the United States. I'm glad I live here. We have blessings that so many people would love to have, and we should be thankful for that. But here's the problem. When our nationality becomes more important than our faith, things are in the wrong order. When we somehow make our faith and following Jesus sort of succumb to what we believe about who we are as a nation, there's a problem. And we can even do this with our families. It is so easy to make our families the most important thing. Now, should our families be important? You better believe it. Should we spend time investing in our children and our spouses and our parents and grandparents and grandchildren? Yes. Are they as important as following Jesus? No. We can make an idol out of that. We can make that the most important thing. So we have our idols. What do we do about that? Because, you know, we recognize that a lot of those things can shift right out from under us. As much as we might spend time on a designer lawn, we're sick for one spring and can't do all the stuff and it's a mess. Our houses are not going to last forever. Our bodies certainly will not last forever. Our relationships won't even last forever. No country has lasted for the history of the world. Eventually, they all sort of fall away. These are things that can crumble underneath us. They are not of utmost importance. So how do we deal with this idol problem that we all, as human beings, throughout history, seem to have? That's what Jeremiah was dealing with in Jeremiah chapter 10. Now, we've been studying through Jeremiah because Jeremiah knew what it was like for life to fall apart. And in this chapter, he's really struggling with the people of Israel. He's frustrated with them. We might even say he's angry with them. And what he's angry about is that they're worshiping idols. 
And maybe you know what they would do is they would cut down like the biggest tree that they could find. And they would tear it apart. They would then make, you know, cut a big section, usually the trunk, and they would form it into the shape of what they believed was a god that they worshipped. Okay? They all had different forms and different peoples had different forms for these same gods. And, and then they would take gold or silver leaf and they would hammer it on this log in the shape of their god. And then they would dress it up and they would bow down and worship it. And we think, man, that's ridiculous. Okay, But as I said, we have our idols too. And Jeremiah saw that. And he saw them worshiping these things. And the people knew that the that the, the log itself was not their God, okay? But it represented a God that they believed in, a God that Jeremiah knew didn't really exist. So he's upset with them for doing this and substituting what was false in these, in these false gods with what was real, the worship of God, the real God, Yahweh, the Lord. And so in Jeremiah 10, he's dealing with that. And he says this, in verse 6. He's sort of comparing the one true God with these false gods. No one is like you, Lord. You are great, and your name is mighty in power. Who should not fear you, King of the nations? This is your due. Among all the wise leaders of the nations and in all their kingdoms, there is no one like you. Whether we're talking about people on earth or the gods that people make up, no one is like you. No one has the power you have. No one has the ability to create you have. No one can judge like you do. No one is like God. As much as people are propping up these false gods, they are not the true gods. They are not the God of Israel. Especially these gold-covered logs. How could that compare to God? Verse 10. But the Lord... Yahweh is the true God. If we want to get down to who's the real God, it's this God. But the Lord is the true God. He is the living God, not a false God that we made up, but a living, active, powerful God. The eternal King, the God that lasts forever. When He is angry, the earth trembles. The nations cannot endure His wrath. You see, there's going to be a judgment. And all these people that worship these false gods are going to find out that they've spent their lives, they've spent their money, they've spent everything worshiping something that is not real. And what Jeremiah is doing is calling God's people back to Him. Because it's not just the nations that are worshiping false gods. God's people themselves have chosen to worship something that was unreal, false, because they could make these gods and do it rather than this true God who called them out of Egypt, who made them a people, who brought them out of slavery. Instead of worshiping that God, they've worshiped something false, and God is going to bring judgment on that. Those other gods would not be there. Those other gods did not sustain them as a people. Those other gods did not bless them, provide them with food, provide them with protection. They thought that it worked that way. And Jeremiah is saying, you're going to find out that it doesn't. Verse 12. But God made the earth by his power. He founded the world by his wisdom and stretched out the heavens by his understanding. When he thunders, the waters in heavens roar. He makes the clouds rise from the ends of the earth. He sends lightning with rain and brings out the wind from his storehouses. This is a powerful God. 
a God who was at work in the beginning, in creation. Jeremiah is saying, look around you. Everything that you see, everything that you look around and see was created by this powerful, active God. But it wasn't that God just created and then sort of set it aside. God continues to work. God's power is like the power of the thunder. When we hear that, it doesn't even compare to God. This is the God that we worship. And Jeremiah calls his people back to this God who believes in justice. This God who called them and and told them that there would be justice if they did not return to them. But he's not just a God of justice. And we also see God in the New Testament as a God who judges, as Jesus is clear about, but also a God who loves. We actually had this verse read last Sunday as well. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world. He didn't just create the world. He doesn't just sustain the world. It goes beyond even that. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. That's the God we're talking about. See, here's a God who didn't set Himself up just to be worshipped in a temple, but actually came and became one of us this active, powerful God, and then died on a cross so that our sins could be forgiven. You see, that's the message that stretches from Jeremiah calling the people of Israel back to their God through Jesus, who says there is nothing like worshiping this one true God who loves you so much that He came to be with you. Not just to be worshipped in a temple, but to fill all of creation with His presence through His Spirit. That's the kind of God that Jeremiah was calling the people back to and that Jesus calls us to. A God who offers us just what we need. And so the truth for us today is this. We find what matters when we seek God. That's what Jeremiah was saying. Listen, you can come up with all kinds of idols, stuff to worship, And we do it too. And in the end, what we find is those things shake beneath our feet and the world feels like it's falling apart. And when that happens, then we recognize we need something that lasts. And we're so much better off if we find that before the world feels like it's falling apart. And what we find is Jesus. And we find what matters when we seek God out. So how do we do that? How how do we deal with our idolatry problem? Well, the truth is, we need to seek God out. We need to learn who He is. We need to develop a relationship with this God. And that only happens as we read His Word. And not just for knowledge, but to find out who this God is. Not just to know facts about God, but to know God. And when we read His Word, we open ourselves up so that God can fill us with His Spirit, with who He is. But we've got to do that. It takes some action from us. And so we do it on a personal level, but we also do it together. In fact, over the next few months, I think you're going to see that we're going to open up some opportunities to learn more about God and His call in our lives. We recognize that this is an area where we need to work as a church. The elders and the staff have been thinking through this, and we're actually still forming what it's going to look like. But, you know, we need each other as we grow in our faith. It's not just me sort of sitting here by myself, growing in faith, doing everything that I'm supposed to do. It's, it's us as a church, the family of God, connected together with God's Spirit at work in us, 
where we have opportunities to grow. You see, we need each other. It's about study. It's about prayer. It's about recognizing where our idols are in our lives. You know, if we're going to replace our idolatry with something that is true and something that lasts, one of the things that we have to do is say, okay, what am I worshiping? Where am I spending my money? Where am I spending my time? Where is my heart? Now, God never says, I'm the only thing that matters, nothing else matters. What does God say? God says, I'm the most important thing. Nothing matters compared to me, but here's what I want to tell you is important in your life. And then God lays it out there. And God says marriage matters. And God says being a parent matters. And God says being a kind of child who, who honors his parents or her parents, that matters. Doing your work in a way that's honest and, and earning your wage, that matters. God gives instruction. But what he's saying is what is most important above everything else is worshiping God. And then everything from there flows out. Everything else in our lives is ordered by our faith in this one true God who showed us his nature in Jesus. Idolatry is when we put something in front of that. Idolatry is when we allow something else in life to set the agenda, to decide what's important. Worshiping God means that God sets the agenda. God shows us what's important. God shows us how we interact with people and do our work and spend our money. See, it's easy. It's really easy to make something else more important than our faith. But it's our faith that should dictate what really matters. And sometimes we need people to remind us just how this can happen. Sometimes we need people to remind us of what really does matter and how faith can work in our lives. Years ago, after apartheid was over, in an emotionally charged South African courtroom, a South African woman stood and listened to white police officers acknowledging the atrocities that they had allowed and had performed. A man named Officer Vanderbrook acknowledged that, she, that he had shot her 18-year-old son. And then he had taken his body, and they had burned that body, turning it over and over in a fire. Eight years later, they hunted down the same woman's husband, the same officer. As she was forced to wash, they watched, they doused him with gasoline and set him on fire. His last words were, forgive them. Now this officer sat in the dock, awaiting judgment from a commission that had been appointed to right the wrongs of apartheid. And she was allowed to speak. She said, I want three things. She said, I want Officer Vandenbroek to take me to the place where they burned my husband's body so I can gather the ashes and give him a proper burial. Okay. The second thing she said was, Mr. Vandenbroek took away my family but I still have a lot of love to give. And I would like for him to come to the ghetto where I live twice a month, and I would like for him to spend the day with me so I can be a mother to him. And third, I would like for him to know that he is forgiven by God, and he is forgiven by me as well. 
I want him to know that. And I would like to give him an embrace so he can know my forgiveness is real. And as she was led across the courtroom, Officer Vanderbrook fainted. And someone began to sing Amazing Grace. And in the end, everyone joined in. And when we create idols in our lives, something like that can't happen. But when we make God the very first thing, and all else flows from that, we find out what really matters. Let's pray together. God, we confess that we have worshipped idols. Maybe not like the people that Jeremiah spoke to, but idols that we have propped up and created in our lives. God, we, we, we repent of that because we want to worship you and only you. And we want to allow you to set the agenda and make the priorities in our life. Show us what matters and how we can live as parents and workers and citizens in the name of Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.